Greetings, dear friends. Tis the season here on Epic, and after taking a week off for Thanksgiving, we are delighted to give you all a little gift. An interview with our writer, Joaquin Lowe, and the voice of Emma herself, Inez Del Castillo, giving us a real insider look at how and why this show came to be. But before we go any further, here's a word from our sponsors. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This interview is a real treat, and I promise, no spoilers, Just two awesome people talking about the show they and we really love. So sit back, relax, maybe grab a bottle of water, and enjoy this peek behind the curtain at the world of Bullet Catcher. Well, thank you guys both for taking the time to do this. To like start off a conversation, the first thing I wanted to find out about is kind of like the origin story of Bullet Catcher. Like Joaquin, where did it come from? How did it come to be? And then, like, once Inez got involved. Mm. Uh, wow, yeah. Um, you know, it's so long ago now because uh, it, it first happened uh, after I graduated grad school. And I was living in Portland, and uh, I was listening to this song called Bullet Catching, I think. <laughs> Or bullet, maybe it was even called Bullet Catchers or something like that by this band called Tongue, uh, and uh, they had this line, which is in the beginning of the book uh, or the story. I don't, I'm not sure if it was on the um, realm portion of it, but it goes, uh, "We were catching bullets with our heads and hearts and all the darkest parts of us," and I thought that it was such an interesting. Um, figurative idea that uh, you would be that bullets being this um, uh, idea for uh, pain or anger or uh, you know uh, mental jabs at us personally uh, and then what happens to those things we we do catch them they embed themselves in us but what if that was also literal, I suppose? So I started coming up with this world where um, people were 
had this ability, but that it always still hurt them. It was always still painful. Uh, and uh, also, you know, it you know, was a good opportunity to sort of talk about violence and guns and things like that, where the heroes are people who don't carry them, who don't use them, who don't believe in them. Mm. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, that, and that was a long time ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I think that was, and then I told, you know, I went out for, for drinks on a cold Portland morning with a friend, and I told her this idea, and she said, you should probably write that. And she was the best writer I knew, so to get that feedback was, you know, a pretty big uh, kickstart into actually trying to write it out and finish a project for the first time in my entire life. Yeah. And then how long did it take once you, once she told you to write it? <laughs> I wrote the first draft in probably three months. Wow. Um, uh, because I was in my early 20s and had energy and ambition. <laughs> what is that again? What? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's been a long time. Like I said, I don't, I don't really remember. But it felt great, whatever it was. Energy. Um, and, uh, and then it took probably two or three years uh, editing, uh, revising, submitting it. Uh, that was the long process. Uh, it's, it's funny. I was digging through my garage just two days ago, and I found a big briefcase full of the first drafts. And it's just thousands of pages of uh, basically ideas that are nonsense. It's like the fever dream of, an, of someone in their early 20s. So, <laughs> so, yeah, it's a nice little memento. Had you ever and read then, The Dark Tower? Or sorry. I, I did. In fact, the last line of the first chapter of Bullet Catcher is an homage to The Dark Tower. Oh, nice. Where... Uh, it goes, um, and the stranger walked into the desert, and I followed. Is the first line for from Dark Tower is basically the first line from Dark Tower. You know, I, I read it after recording this because on the Realm site it was like a mixture of True Grit and the Dark Tower, and yeah. someone had mentioned it to me like before, and I was like, you know, that's a good time to read it, and I read it, and I was like, oh. Yeah, it's so like, oh, yes, Stephen King, he, that man knows how to write. <laughs> he knows a thing or two. He knows a thing or two. <laughs> He's written a book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I did, yeah, so, I did for, forget to mention earlier that you guys can ignore me and keep talking and <laughs> don't apologize for just going on, <laughs> on a tangent. Tangents are appreciated. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, but we would never ignore you. We would never. Uh, <laughs> Never. Uh, yeah, I, the, the Dark Tower was a big inspiration for it, especially because, uh, again, sort of like in my limited uh, I, uh, experience, especially at that point, um, there wasn't a whole lot of Weird West sort of stories that I had experienced at that point. Um, and so the Dark Tower series was a big one. The only thing that was strange to me about Dark Tower. And I think this is probably like the era in which at least the first couple books were written is that like it has this weird, I don't know if you got this sense from it, but maybe this is me just being like oversensitive millennial, I don't know. But like it has like this weird 70s psychosexual energy 
where where people are just like super horny, but like in a weird sort of way. I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember the horniness, but I do remember being like, it, it's definitely got a vibe from when it was written. Like I was like, yeah. I know it's set in one time, but I definitely was like, this is this is some pretty trippy. This is some pretty trippy like, stuff. Like <laughs> LSD. <laughs> I don't know what is going on here. Because um, it has kind of, it, actually, the all of that to me reads like a fever dream. It's yeah. so like. It's so trippy. strange. Yeah. yeah. It's so yeah, strange. It's, it's very, um, what's the word? Like surreal. It's very yeah. surreal and uncanny. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's got, I don't know, 70s machismo feverish. Yeah, I, I don't know. 100%. It's it's very strange. Like in Bullet Catcher, <laughs> I don't know. This is probably all stuff that's going to get cut because it's weird. But like in, in Bullet Catcher, uh, the gun is definitely like a symbol for anger, violence, cowardice. Um, like I don't have faith in myself, so I have to have faith in this thing kind of energy to it. In Dark Tower, I could never get over like, oh, that gun is definitely just a penis, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, I get I it. I think <laughs> a lot of Westerns have that, though. I, yeah. I think that's part of the beauty of Bullet Catcher. I don't know, for me, anyway. Because I'm like, wait, am I here as a narrator or as a fan? Oh, my God, which one oh. am I showing up as? <laughs> um, but I think um, it, it's so refreshing to have a Western that's not weirdly, like, sexualized or um like appropriating indigenous people or i don't know because westerns are so fascinating but then they have so much baggage as does everything mm -hmm. but i feel like particularly westerns have a creepy like male gaze on them because it was like nobody's watching and mm. we're on the frontier and this Squaw is hot, or I don't even know. There's just like weird <laughs> crap that goes on with Westerns. Cause I feel like they're having a moment right now. Mm -hmm. Like the neo Western is coming back. But I just find a lot of them have a very strange, like sexual thing to them. And yeah. a really weird, like we're in 2022, but yet we're still gonna produce it where like the women are supposed to be like, maybe they're like, badass in their emotions but they're still women and they're still in skirts and i don't know like I, I think it's hard to find a western that is like really breaking the mold and yet it's something that we all like to do so like recently i heard about a podcast that was like a black western and i was like yes there mm. were black people in the west <laughs> yeah <laughs> and also it's all made up anyway so why can't there be all sorts of people anyway <laughs> like i've never understood you know? oh my god that that is such. I mean, that's the the key right there. Is that it's all made up, you know. And especially if you're not addressing something that is strictly historical. I mean, yeah. You know, to feel like you're tethered to any. I mean, if if you feel like you're tethered to any sort of archetype or bias or anything like that, that's really I feel like just your own authorial gaze kind of overriding everything Deciding. else. You know, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. but th th that's the weird thing about Westerns is, like, there definitely were all sorts of people because you had, obviously, like, Mexico and all of that, and then you had, I mean, Buffalo Soldier, hello. Like, mm -hmm. there were definitely, like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but I do, I yeah. personally, I don't know what you think, Joaquin, but or Heather, but I think that might be part of the 
the beauty of Bullet Catcher is it lets us play in this world in a place where we all feel invited, you know, or we all feel like, um, obviously with Emma being the main character, like, especially as a woman, I feel like, oh, I can play in this world. Because before it was always like, do-do-do-do, you know, like, <laughs> just penises, just penis. no vaginas. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I actually do remember early on, like, um, feeling that because it's made up and because this is a fantasy world, especially, you get to really decide where the conflict is. And the Mm -hmm. conflict, and it's, it was, it's a little strange, I think, just because I think there might be an expectation there of, like, here is a young woman uh, who is surrounded by bad men, and... It's hardly ever a, the sexuality is hardly ever an issue, mm-hmm. essentially. The conflict lies in other reactions to her, mm-hmm. other, yeah, other places. Because there's already enough conflict to go around, just trying, yeah. just trying to live. So, But the sexuality have- is there, which I like. Like, mm-hmm. I like that we're still in a world in which these bad men could at any moment hurt her sexually, obviously physically, but then it doesn't take center stage because that's the mm-hmm. thing is I feel like we're all so repressed that whenever sex comes up, it like takes over. You yeah. know, it's like that whole thing with, um, is it Chekhov? That's like, you know, if you put the gun on stage, I should know mm-hmm. this. Um, if you act. put the gun on stage, it has to fire. It's like we have a problem in our culture where it's like mm-hmm. if you bring up any sexuality, there must be sex or something. You right. know what I mean? Like there's no way that it can just be part of the world that we live in the way that it is in real life, you know? Yeah. Where, you know, in reality, it could just exist as tension. It's always there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's basically like you can have Downton Abbey, Abbey, where everyone's super horny, but all, but also corseted up. Exactly, know? yeah. It doesn't have to be Bridgerton, which I'm not saying anything bad about Bridgerton because... <laughs> You know you love that scene. You know you love that scene. <laughs> I am not going to stand here and say anything negative about Bridgerton, but. <laughs> well, I just think in yeah. real life, like, we have that tension, and yet we don't have people, like, randomly dropping on the sidewalk to have sex because they can't, you mm-hmm. know, get to the deli without doing it, you know? <laughs> I, know. I got to get to the deli fast. I'm too horny. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know? Oh my god! Uh, I feel like I feel like I derailed us, or we both derailed ourselves. Or, yeah, we're <laughs> we're so far away. <laughs> oh my god! Well, you know, I was lis- re-listening to uh, Bullet Catcher the first season uh, yesterday, and it's hard for me to listen to it just because I hear all my problems, all these decisions that I, I made. have the same problem. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I was. I, I was love it when to- I listen to it. <laughs> no problem. Okay, Thank good you. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Continue. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, as long as I'm not the only one, that's good. Yeah, I think. But anyway, um, you know, and it just struck me the character that you give Emma, and uh, it's one of those things because I think that. It's not only asked of you as um, the voice to be really good at reading and interpreting the story, but also acting at the same time. Uh, I mean, it's very much because, and and it occurred to me last night, just because it's like, wow, 
the emphasis on all of these sentences is different than what I had thought about in my head. And it all oh, wow. works much better. And it all gives Emma this other character. Like, I was thinking, like, because she's young. And I think that she is a contemplative character. She is always thinking about what's going on around her, even if that, even if what she's thinking is self-destructive or not right or whatever it is. But I really feel like the, I don't know, I was thinking like you give her this added intelligence, I think, in just the intonations that you focus on, uh, you know, when you're narrating her, her inner voice. I, I don't know. I thought that was fascinating. Thank you so much. I think, <clears throat> oh, that's a big deal for me because obviously in talking to the author, your main thing is like, did I screw up everything he did? <laughs> nope. Um, <laughs> uh, but I'll, I'll say it's so funny because Bullet Catcher tracked weirdly, like very mo like important moments in my life, I feel like. Just, I don't know, like coincidence. I don't know what. When I first got Bullet Catcher, because I'm an actress, I was trained in theater, so audiobooks kind of is just this cool thing that kind of, you know, has emerged, and I and I like to do it, and people ask me to do it, and so I do it, you know. Um, and but I was new to audiobooks when the first season came up, and I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing? <laughs> give this a try. <laughs> I'll give this a try. <laughs> um, no, but I loved. I loved the world so much as soon as I read it that I was like, you know what, let me just have fun in the audition. And I I don't, like, normally do this, but I was like, oh, Western. I kind of went down the rabbit hole for the audition itself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, I'm, I don't normally do that because I don't have the job yet, you know. And I'm, like, the audition, I'm thinking about other things. So I kind of went down the rabbit hole, and I remember sending it, and then, like, of course, later, I was like, don't. I should have done this, that, and oh my God, I'm not going to get this now, you know? Mm -hmm. And then they got back to me. And so that was the first season. And Amanda, uh, the first season I got to record in person with a human near me, which was so wow. invaluable. Mm -hmm. um, and Amanda was also a super fan because she wrote the theme music, but she and I, would, we were like, oh my God, Joaquin is so cool. And we're like getting to do this. I'm like totally fangirled out. <laughs> and we take way too much time to record this. <laughs> things you're talking about. <laughs> My ego is just like inflating to Do it. Take it. Yeah. Take it. I'm sending it to you over the internet. Um, and then season, oh, and then season two, there was like a big gap between season one and two. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess, you know, it's not going to happen. But like, so glad I got to do that. And then um, I got season two. And at that point, I had done way more audiobooks. And I was like, mm -hmm oh my God, what the heck was I doing in season one? This is terrible. Why did anybody ever hire me? <laughs> and so then I did season two. And it was uh, it was literally right before the lockdown because I remember mm -hmm. us being like, oh man, there's been a few cases in the States, but probably people are like, you know, making too much of this. And I was about to leave to go um, do a play at UNC, and I was like, oh, you know, we'll, I'll see you when we get back. We'll get drinks, and we'll laugh about, like, a pandemic happening. Sure. <laughs> and then— <laughs> Smash cut. Then the, then the pandemic happened. Yeah. And I did season three in a booth that I made in my, in my bedroom closet, which I never thought I'd do. 
and um, by myself, and I had just found out I was pregnant. And so it was just so, I don't even remember what the original question was. I'm so sorry, but that was the journey. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I love it. Yeah. But every season I felt like I had grown so much as a human being that I was like, what the heck was I doing the season before? Mm -hmm. Um, But it was always, I was always so in love with it that I felt like I was getting in the, like, I was like, oh my God, I like this too much to be working on this. (laughs) (laughs) I can't focus because like, you know, spoiler alert, like Heartright died and I cried. And I was like, I "I need a second. Yeah, so I, the, the, the getting into it and the giving it this life, I felt was always quite easy because, I actually think there was always more to mine. You know, like I was always like, oh, I could do it this way. I could do it, which is why it's good when I have another human being because when I'm by myself, I literally do like, I'm like, oh, I could be this. Oh, I could be this too. Oh, I could be, oh, crap. Like, you know, I did one paragraph today. (laughs) Um, But, and also I think with Realm stuff, when you have the um, audio effects and the music, it just adds so much more. So then it's, it's like, I'm not even doing all the heavy lifting by myself, you know, there's there's a whole team. Everybody's everybody's taking part. And then everybody's loved Bullet Catcher so much that I always felt like so, even though I've never gotten to meet you guys at Realm in person, it's always felt so just loved. Like, I, I don't know. It's always felt like so playful and so fun to get in there, you know. This episode of Epic is brought to you by Wild Grain. I want you to take a moment And imagine the smell of fresh-baked sourdough bread filling your house. Or maybe it's croissants, if that's more to your liking. Now, what if I told you that you could get this delicious experience without covering yourself in flour and without leaving your house? Well, you can if you order from Wild Grain. What's Wild Grain? Well, it is the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box. You get sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and pastries that go from your freezer to your oven and ready to serve in 25 minutes or less. I just got my first box and it had three different sourdough loaves, biscuits, croissants, and two different kinds of pasta. I made the orange cranberry biscuits right away and I cannot tell you how wonderful my house smelled and they tasted even better. Scallops and Wild Grains Fresh Fettuccine is on the menu for this week and I plan to pair it with the olive oil ciabatta loaf. (sighs) Doesn't that sound so good? If you're a carb lover like me and you want good carbs free of preservatives and artificial colors and flavors, then you'll want to get a subscription right away. And now you can fully customize your Wild Grain box so you can choose any combination of breads, pastas, and pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. Plus, for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com epic to start your subscription. You heard me, free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com epic. That's wildgrain.com slash E-P-I-C. Or you can use promo code EPIC at checkout. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot button issues, we cover it all. 
New episodes drop every Wednesday. So make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. Bullet Catcher, uh, it's, it's really funny. Like, when I first uh, got an agent, uh, the guy... <laughs> Who's a really nice guy? Uh, he's he. You know, we went to. It was the first time anyone had ever taken me to dinner, uh, and you know, I felt like the prettiest girl at the ball. You know, I just I <laughs> was were. getting wined and dined, and you know, they were like, "We're gonna sell. We're gonna sell this for for a hundred thousand dollars. This is the new Harry Potter, you know, mm. kind of thing." And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but what happened with Bullet Catcher uh, is that. It's existed and it continues to exist because it seems like there is um, a small group of people who really connect with it uh, mm. and really champion it. And that's been the case for uh, the people who have published it at Realm uh, and before that as a book. Uh, I mean, with you, Inez, uh, and, you know, and with, I get, you know, the people who have read it and listened to it, I mean— I don't know what it is, but it's just, it seems to be like this very strong uh, slice of the pie, which, mm. I don't know, always makes me feel sort of incredible that maybe it hasn't, maybe it just hasn't exploded, like, you know, was said in that first meeting, but it's burned for years and years and years. Uh, yeah, and that just feels kind of incredible when I sit back and think about it and makes me incredibly grateful. Um, because it exists because of champions. I think it can still explode, too, because I think it's one of those things that um, you have the cult following of the people that take a chance on it, but then when you do take take a chance on it, it's so relatable. I mean, Heather, I guess that's like what has been happening, right, with the po- dropping it as a podcast. So I think it like maybe it's... Um, not the clickbait of, you know, having a crazy celebrity doing it or there's no sex like how people are used to. But when they do, it really catches and it stays, like you said, it stays with you. It's it, Yeah, I think it's, I think it's timeless in that sense. And I, I think those things, um, I think you're still going to light up. <laughs> I think it's still going to explode. Well, As always hoping, me. I suppose. Yeah. It's, it's funny, like, um, I don't usually read reviews um, because my my ego can't take it. Uh, and uh, but some of the positive ones I've I've read and some of the negative ones I've read read exactly the same, which is this is basically Star Wars, and <laughs> and <laughs> I it kind of makes me laugh because I'm like, yeah, lots of stories are basically Star Wars, <laughs> right? Joseph Campbell, thank you. Yeah, That's exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This is, I mean, it's pretty archetypal stuff. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know where that came from. But No, pe- uh, people really, you know, it's so funny. I don't, I'm not good at social media, but um, I've actually had some people follow me from Bullet Catcher. And I was like, oh my God, it's like a whole new, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> like, it's not just my mom, you know? <laughs> My mom's um, still my number one Twitter follower, so. <laughs> oh, my mom doesn't know how to do any of that stuff, but my brother, like my brother and my cousins, my husband, my husband's my number one. He's my number one, but, you know, um, outside of that, <laughs> it's really no one. 
Um, and uh, but someone it was so funny because a couple people followed me from Bullet Catcher, and I think I posted something the other day about my baby or something, and they were like, "This is you have a really cute baby or something like that." They're like, "This is really nice," but actually, like, I want to know about Bullet Catcher or something like that. And I was so <laughs> flattered. <laughs> I was like, I think this is the best comment I've ever gotten. That's awesome. <laughs> that one that one sent my ego right up there. It has a small like uh what you what you said, Inez, like a, a cult following. Mm. And the great thing about a cult following is that they tend to be fanatics. Uh I used to work <laughs> in a uh in a video store and uh you know dusty uh, and, you know, we, very eclectic group of people who used to come and uh, rent videos. And our number one section was like the cult section. Be- and you would have a customer bring up a copy of a VHS cassette of like Toxic Avenger. And he's like, I want to talk to you about Toxic Avenger for half an hour before <laughs> I rent this. <laughs> and you're like, I'm here for this. This is why I work here. Let's talk about mm-hmm. Toxic Avenger, you know, because... It's one of those things where I, especially I think with cult, cult stories, stories that inspire a cult following is that they tend to be about outsiders. Mm-hmm. And the thing about being an outsider is that even if you're in the, in the middle of the pack, I feel like you always go home at night and you think of yourself, like, I didn't understand what was going on with my friends tonight. I don't understand what's going on in the world, especially these days. You go home and you turn off the lights and you feel like you're on the outside looking in, no matter who you are. Mm. So those stories, especially now, as we're forced to become, as a society, more introspective, maybe because of pure isolation or whatever it is, I think really tend to hit. When I grew when I was growing up, like superheroes and Marvel things, that was for the nerds like me. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I always connected with them was that these are people who are persecuted and thought less of because of what makes them special. Um, and it's always a really nice thing to hold on to that this thing that I feel insecure about is the thing that makes me who I am uh, and makes me worthwhile. Maybe people don't see it, but this is the thing that's special about me. Mm. And I think that's the power of outsider stories and representation. Um, because then you get to see yourself in those characters more clearly. Mm. Uh, Can I ask a question? To me? Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> to the room, I, I, to all of us. <laughs> No, no, this one's for you actually. Um did why 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 is Emma Emma? Why is it a female? What was that consciously done? Is that just who came up for you? Um I don't know if this is like a satisfying answer, but Emma is female because um I thought, well, why couldn't she be, I suppose. Yeah. Um and especially when you're telling a story, and, and a story that isn't necessarily about gender politics, um, a character is is just pronouns on, on the paper. Mm. And a person can read in 
a male or female energy into those pronouns or a non-binary energy into those pronouns. Um, and so the thing, so the thing about writing, I think me as a, as a, as a male talking about writing a female character, uh, the thing about, I think writing a female character, especially from a male perspective is to keep in mind that a female and a male character can have the same reaction to uh, a conflict or a stimulus within or a plot device within the story. But the reason why they're reacting to that thing might be wildly different. Hmm. Like if someone challenges your character, if they're a male, maybe it's because they feel you know, they have not it's you know they can both react to that challenge with uh fire with anger with a meeting of that challenge but the reasons why will be could be completely different mm. yeah. maybe the the male is reacting to it um with anger because the society tells them this is how men act when challenged they they mm-hmm. meet force with force and maybe uh, the female character reacts to it because of um, something completely different. I don't want to put my foot in my mouth because I don't really, I don't really know. It's but you have to understand that their journey is completely different to that point. Mm, um, yeah. yeah, even though they react exactly the same way, they could act exactly the same way. What lies yeah, beneath I'm- the surface is different. Yeah, I, as someone who um, grew up a tomboy, I would say that is 100% correct. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think, too, another thing that really is lasting about Bullet Catcher is, like, the daddy issues and the family (laughs) issues. Come on. Come on. Because there is this feeling, um, or I think maybe the way that I voice uh, Lobo, I added to this, but that he's like the old guard, you know, the old school dude. And so you have like a little bit of that for maybe like the Indiana Jones person, you know. Mm. And then you have Emma, who's this new thing. But like you said, it doesn't have to be addressed, you know. It's just is the way that you're saying, Joaquin, like uh, pronouns on a page and then Maybe some of her motivations and whatnot come from a different place, but you can still have the same things happen. And then you have all the family dynamics. And I think uh, in t- on top of outsider stories, and again, I don't know, but this is, I think, what I was picking up on as narrator. Like, you have the um, the family dynamics. And it's like we all want to belong and we all want to be loved. And the fact that, especially especially right now, I think, the fact that this person who was told she's not worth anything found it in herself to not only, uh, like, I don't know, like, demand to be respected from Lobo in that first season, but then earn his respect. I don't, I don't know if demand respect is what I'm trying to say, but, you know, she stands up to him and puts her foot down. And... Then 
he grows to respect her and then he grows to love her. And I think like I can get choked up just thinking about it now. It's like, we all, don't we all want that? And it was almost like she faced her deepest fears and realized that she's actually so worthy of that love. And she thought she had lost it with her brother and she finds it again. And then she finds a whole family, you know, and I think we all want connection and in the meantime, you got shootouts and horseback riding and, you know, it, like super fun. But I think like the the heart of the story um, is about love. And as much as we all want to be cool and we all want to see boobies and whatever, I think really we all want to be loved. And it's, I don't know, I, I think, and loved by our daddies. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. But I I think that's really so powerful in the story is that these tough people, kind of what you said in the beginning, Joaquin, of like these people that are able to catch these bullets and everything, like they're they're badasses. But really, who cares? Like love is more important than that. I I mean, I'm I'm so glad that you said that because, um, I mean, that's really, I think, the central energy of the story, of all of them is that, and and it was something that I thought about when I was first writing it, was that, like, what if you have, like, these badasses, but their central flaw, but, uh, and also, like, their central goodness is that they really love really hard. (laughs) You know, love makes you do crazy things. Mm. Uh, And with Emma and Lobo, um, I think it's exactly what you said. And I think there's nothing more wonderful to fantasize about and then sometimes to actually be able to do than to put yourself out there like Emma does uh, and say, this is who I am. I'm, I'm a tryhard, I suppose. Uh, and for someone else to say, I see you and I love this about you, you know, mm. um, to be seen. And I think that's what's powerful about their relationship is she puts herself out there and he sees her, and then doesn't withhold that, doesn't withhold that idea that, that uh, doesn't hold, withhold that reciprocation of love and respect, shows it to her, and always reminds her that you are loved and you are respected. Um, and I'll tear it up over <laughs> And yes, we all want that from our fathers. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Dad, I hope you watch it. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. There's always something so cool about getting to hear creators talk about their work, sharing the backstory and letting you get to know them a little more. And believe me, we enjoy talking about it as much as you enjoy hearing it. I also hope that it hyped you up for more Bullet Catcher. There are still three episodes to go, so make sure you come back next time as Emma's journey careens towards its thrilling conclusion. You're listening to Epic Bullet Catcher. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. 
And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Epic is produced by Mary Asadolahi and Haley Wagreich. Associate produced by Nicole Kreuter and Alexis Latshaw. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Marcy Wiseman. Hosted by Faith McQuinn. Audio editing and original theme by Sam Bagala. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Find more shows like Epic by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.